Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, your daily dose of approachable, accessible, delightful page of Talmud. Today we're reading Tractate Brachot, page 26, and we have the honor, the distinct pleasure and the privilege of having with us Dr. Andrew Rehfeld, the president of Hebrew Union College, the Reform Movement's premier theological institution. Hello. Hello, it's a pleasure to be with you. The mellifluous sounding uh, President Rayfeld, we should say. <laughs> your, your voice is, is a pleasure, sir. Well, thank you. So I was really intrigued uh, by this one passage that we read uh, right in the beginning of the page today. I'd like to read it to you and, and then ask some questions uh, very briefly. Basically, the talk here uh, is the rabbis trying to understand what is the essence of the prayers. Why are we commanded in Judaism to pray three times a day? And they come up with two distinct theories. But here, says the Talmud, in the case under discussion, perhaps prayer is in place of sacrifice. Since in the case of sacrifice, we say, since his day passed, his sacrifice is invalid, and there is no way to compensate for the missed opportunity, the same should be true for prayer. Or perhaps, since prayer is supplication, any time that one wishes, he may continue to pray. In other words, the rabbis are saying something really interesting. They're saying, look, there are two theories here. The first is that we pray three times a day because that kind of mirrors the schedule of sacrifices in the temple when the temple existed. And if that's the case, then it's very institutional, it's very rigid, it has to be done at a certain time in a certain way. Or we are basically just replicating the very personal prayers that our forefathers, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, instituted when they came up with these prayers, at which case we could pray whenever we want in whichever way we want. So one approach is very institutional, one approach is very personal and emotional, which I know is a tension that running a theological institute is one that is very deeply felt, right? Absolutely. Uh, and thank you for the distinctions. I guess I would add a third distinction. So first you talk about institutional, I would think I would talk about that in terms of community requirements or thinking that way. Another piece, when you talk about prayers in place of sacrifice, I think that prayer operates in this symbolic way. That is, it's a symbol for other things. It's a way that we create meaning in our world. Uh, and the final one, the personal, is a third function of prayer. So if you look at each of these, that you know, prayer is a way that we have a shared language as individuals as part of a community, what you called institutional. Prayer can also be a way that we impose meaning on the world. Uh, one of our emeritus faculty, uh, Rabbi Larry Hoffman, used to talk about when we bless something, we're not seeking to do something in the world, we're seeking to do something in ourselves in terms of raising our awareness of the world. That's the symbolic component of prayer. And then the fine, that, that personal one, the final one, is that idea of the individual's discipline, the self-discipline of committing to something on a regular basis as part of bringing meaning and, and engaging in community in a shared discipline, a shared language. So I think all three of those, when I hear that, and you know, as you're engaging with the text, that, that's what, what comes to mind for me. It seems to me that perhaps more than any other Jewish institution, HUC really, and the reform movement in general, has had to grapple with this specific tension or think about the ways this tension is embodied. What can you tell us about the training that you give rabbis on basically answering this, this key question, how much of the emphasis in their congregants' lives ought to be uh, invested in 
these kind of more traditional, more strict ways uh, or exact ways of thinking about Jewish life and practice, and which should really be invested in in personal emotional connections to Judaism? Uh, so I think you're asking two different questions, or I hear it in two ways. And I think that we try to uh, ask both of these questions to our students. Number one, as individual Jews, how does your individuality, how does your sense that you're an autonomous individual play out within a religious community and a religious system? And the other question that you may be asking is, how do we train people as rabbinical leaders or as leaders of any kind to take their role seriously, which often means separating out from your individual needs? When someone takes on the the sacred work of a rabbi, uh, they're taking on an obligation for the community. And it, it means often sublimating individual needs in service to the community. So on the first one, that does that individual need and the, the tension between entering a community that is requiring rules versus your own needs, the way I think about it is in terms of the founding of, of reform ideology based in enlightenment philosophy. And from that view, I, I believe we have uh, first and second order obligations in terms of community, all human beings have a first order obligation to be part of a particular community with its tradition, its culture, its uh, laws or quasi laws in some cases. And then a second order obligation, having accepted a role in a community to follow those rules in a way that are normative for that community. So it's the choice that choosingness of reform that uh, has individuals, whether you're born into it, choose to be part of it, uh, it speaks to you, you feel called to God to be Jewish, you decide to make a, a choice to enter, and then having entered, you have to be acting in a way that's normative for that community. We're not only the chosen people, but also the choosing people. The choosing, yeah. Obviously not not original, but yes, that's right. You're not only uh, chosen, but choosing. And and it is that choice, that, that idea of individual autonomy. And it's an obligation to choose. It's not a choice that you can decide not to. This view that you can just aim at the universal you know, without any kind of mediation through a particular community is, I think, fantasy. I think only God has the capacity to love the whole world at once. Right, and and even he or she or they, I think, sometimes has a very difficult time uh, keeping up with this duty. You know, uh, one of our former guests, uh, my friend Rabbi David Bashevkin, said that really when it comes to trying to imagine it metaphorically, you could look at every Jewish communal institution as necessarily orthodox, uh, by which he meant to say very rigid and following a specific set of rules in an exact way. At every Jewish family as conservative, by which I mean to say, or by which he meant to say, having um, a very distinct set of rules, but still having way more elbow room and leeway in their interpretation. And every Jewish individual as reform, meaning really someone who has to make this choice and to operate out of a basis of things that make sense to us. So what can we take from this beautiful page? What wisdom would you leave us with as we try to balance our own passions and our own discretions and our own predilections with, as you said so so eloquently now, uh, the larger sense of belonging to a community and all the obligations and rules that come with it? So when I hear that, you know, I think about the challenges that at HUC we're trying to inspire our students to take on. A challenge to be at once with integrity about their own souls and their own personhood, but recognizing that communities do need uh, leaders and do need rules to bind them. And even within reformed synagogues, within reformed communities, we actually have some pretty robust boundaries 
that define who we are and how to act. And there may be a lot more variety among them and between them and, and other denominations or other approaches to Jewish life. But I think the real challenge, certainly for Jewish leaders, recognizing exactly what you said, that for individuals, you there's a lot of flexibility, but for a community, you need a lot of integrity. It's to be able to lead a community in a way that is best for that community, the responsibility to serve, which often means sublimating your own needs for emotional fulfillment and sometimes spiritual fulfillment. And I think that's the great challenge that those who are called to rabbinic and uh, cantorial service have to take on to be at once at peace and with integrity around their individual belief and practice, while at the same time stepping up to meeting the needs of the demands of the community. It's a, it's a sacred task that I continue to be impressed by those called upon it to do, to at once look at the individual, but at the same time understand the need for your responsibility to the community. I love that. And I think that that while rabbis certainly grasp with it at, at a far more intricate and demanding levels, I think to, to a certain extent, it is a demand on all of us and every single one of us who makes that choice to go ahead and, and live a committed Jewish life. President Rayfield, thank you so much for your time. Oh, Liel, thank you for your interest. Really appreciate the work you're doing to strengthen the Jewish public sphere. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. If you enjoyed this show, please go rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly section of Reading Daf Yomi. I'm your host, Leah Leibowitz. Our producer is Josh Cross. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope you've made your day a little bit more Talmudic, and we'll see you again soon.